Now, would you turn with me, please, to that portion of God's Word that was read in your hearing, the Song of Solomon in chapter 8. The Song of Solomon in chapter 8. And we might read again the words that we have in the verse Mark 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 5. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There my mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bear thee. And it's those words in verse 5 that we wish to consider. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Just by way of introduction to the Song of Solomon, and I know that Many of you will be aware of this. The Song of Solomon is one of those books in Scripture that has a controverted interpretation. There are various views about how we should come and understand what we have read today. There are those, and they take the view that merely what we have before us is a history, a history of Solomon, and the Shulamite woman. Well, friends, I suppose there may well be something historical in it. But if that is all that we have today, then it is only of interest to that period of time. And then there are others, and they come and they say, well, really what we have before us is a manual an instruction upon how we are to conduct ourselves in marriage itself. And when you come to the Song of Solomon, you will see much that is instructive about earthly marriage and how we should conduct ourselves in that marriage bond here below. But friends, always remember this that when we discuss and think about marriage itself, it is a picture of Christ and his church. Christ and his church is not a picture of marriage here below. Remember, the apostle tells us that in Ephesians. But he says the marriage that we have here below, a husband and a wife, is a picture of Christ and his church. And so what we have today here, and we make no apologies for it, we take the view that the Song of Solomon speaks about that relationship that Christ has with his people. And that relationship that Christ has with his people is not only, and we say that with all reverence, it is not only one of union, precious, vital, Superlative though that would be, 
but it's also one of communion. What marriage would there be if there was not an enjoyment of the marriage? What marriage would it be if there was not that mutual love, the husband for the wife? What marriage would there be if there was not that constant communication, the one from the other, the one who builds up the other and encourages the other? And so, friends, as we come today, we see this evidenced in the the love that Christ has for his believing people. The world out there, we often think that the world out there sees us as insignificant, and in many ways, perhaps it does. In many ways, perhaps it does. But believer, this morning, there are those out there and perhaps those in here, and they they view the Christian, they view the believer as as something that is extraordinary, and, and that is how it should be. It is a marvel. I wish us to consider this this morning as we have this question brought before us. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? The first thing that we would say is this. Notice with me the, the sight of the Christian, the, the view of the Christian, the marvel of the Christian. Because you see, this word that we have here in, in verse 5, it is not so much as a, as an in, uh, a question to, to elicit uh, an answer. Those that are, are looking on, and you will know the context. The context before us is this. The context is, is, is a great marriage. And you will remember in the Middle East, the, the wedding party would come with great fanfare. And so uh, the church here, the, the daughters of Jerusalem, those who are in the, the professing church, they look out and they see this wedding coming. And they know who it is that's coming. So the question is not one of who is it that's coming. The question is one of wonderment. It's a rhetorical question. Who? Who is this that coming up from the wilderness? leaning upon her beloved. We know who it is, but we can hardly believe it. The sight of the Christian. See here, they, they notice the, the wonderment. They notice the, the grace. Here their eyes are fixed with a gaze upon what the Lord has done even in bringing this one that they knew into uh, a union with her beloved. And friends, this morning, the believer is an extraordinary thing. Because remember how we are brought onto this place. Remember how we are brought onto repentance and faith. 
The question is asked in Scripture, and well it is asked. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? I suppose today that would be politically incorrect to ask that question. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? And the answer is no. Can the leopard change the spots? Can it remove the spots? The answer is no. But there is one who can change the skin. And there is one who can change the spots. And that is the same one that has come to the believer, the child of God, and has so worked in the heart that the heart is changed. No wonder that the church here, those on the periphery, and they are looking out and they see her coming up now dressed in all of this finery in the wedding garment, uh, we might say, of the Lamb. And they find it astonishing. And they find it a marvel. And that is how it should be with the Christian, the child of God. They should be so outstanding that it is obvious that a work of grace and a work of mercy and a work of the Spirit has taken place in their lives. Today, and we say this with all sadness and solemnity, there does not seem to be this Emphasis upon what the Christian should be. And the marvel of the work of grace. And the wonder of that work of God and drawing sinners onto himself. Because so radically changed will the heart be. That you know immediately those who have been married to the bride. The first thing that you will notice in this garment that they will wear, you will notice holiness. That is a, a fundamental. There will be holiness. Remember the scriptures tell us that it is holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now let me say this to you today, friends. And I say this to encourage you. I do not say this to you today to lead you to antinomianism. I say this to encourage you. There are those, and they, they take this, this verse, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, and they peer within the depths of their own hearts, and they see that sin that so easily besets them. And they conclude, and they go through a life of depression, believing that they will never see the Lord. Well, what does it mean? Well, it means this. That first and foremost, as the child of God is led onto that place of saving grace, as the Spirit of God takes them out of that dunghill of sin, and he sets them upon the rock of Christ, that as they have been separated by Christ himself, and that work has been a work of the Spirit within their souls, and they are justified before God, they are converted. What then takes place? They then have the righteousness of Christ laid to them. 
they then have that righteousness laid to their charge. And they will struggle through this life. We'll say more about this in a moment. You'll notice here that she comes up out of the wilderness. It's a hill. It's a hill we are going through. It's a hill that we are climbing in the Christian life. It will be a struggle. It's going to take exertion. But there is one thing for sure that as she is climbing, and as she heads, and as we head towards that day when we cross the swellings of Jordan, and we go over that bridge that there is no return, and we enter in uh, to glory itself. What are we told of the saints? Well, we're told at that day that we're made perfect in righteousness. Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That is the truth and the theology of righteousness. But friends, I gave that warning at the beginning. I gave that warning at the beginning that while that is true, we cannot then live to ourselves as we please, live loosely in relation to the law of God. That is antinomianism against the law. We cannot then live that life. What shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace would much more abound? God forbid. But you see, those that have this righteousness will, will have fruit in their life. Fruit in their life. There will be the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Oh, she's a marvel. Because she has this holiness. The Christian is a marvel because they have this, this holiness in their life. But you will notice, uh, surely secondly, by implication is this. That she's coming up. And she's with her beloved. There's going to be a love for the Lord. There's going to be that, that cherishing of the Lord. There's going to be that devotion of the heart to the Lord. That is going to be there. It's going to be evident. It's going to be something that, that you breathe and I breathe as Christians and as believers. It's not something that we, we go through the motions and uh, we, uh, we, as it were, and I put this colloquially, we, we tick the boxes. Oh, no. This should be something that flows naturally from the heart. The place of prayer will constantly find us there. We'll be on our knees in prayer. We'll be enjoying this, this communion. You know, one way to, to fragment a communion, one way to fragment that, that enjoyment of, of this marriage is this. Stop talking. Stop talking. Stop communicating. Well, if that is, if that is so in the earthly marriage, it is, it is so in the, in the enjoyment, the, 
the communion of the heavenly. Why is it that we perhaps at times struggle with, with assurance of faith? Well, there are many reasons why we struggle with assurance of faith. The, car, the cardinal reason and the, the primary reason is this, that more often than not, we, we have failed to, to lay hold upon the promises of God. Now, that might be a shocking thing. But we have failed to, to lay hold upon the truth that God has given us to give us assurance. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Well, why do we often, so often at times, think that, that we are the cast out, perhaps? Because God has said in his word, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise. And there are many, many promises. That is the first reason. The second one is this. When are the times that we feel most distant between us and the Lord? It's those times when we're conscious of our sin. Uh, we, we so often, like Adam, we, we go away into the, into the hedges. And we, we, we try to cover our nakedness. And where is our assurance then? Well, friends, if we are not close to the Lord, we cannot have assurance. The Lord can take away assurance. The Lord can take away assurance. I mentioned this somewhere recently, and, and, and there was... It was quite a surprise. You read the Westminster Confession of Faith, the chapter on assurance, that God can withdraw assurance for a period of a time. And very often how the Lord withdraws assurance is he, he withdraws it to such an extent that it is so that we come after him, therefore seeking. And that brings his purpose to pass. So we will have this love for the Lord. It, it will be in a place of prayer. It will be in the scriptures. It will be immersing ourselves in the truth. In this day, it will be in the place of meditation. Let me just say this in passing about today and the Sabbath day. There, are, there is a belief abroad that in order to keep the Sabbath day, that all you have to do is to do no work. And that is the keeping of the Sabbath. That's not the keeping of the Sabbath. That's not the keeping of the Sabbath. The keeping of the Sabbath is that we do no work in order to keep the Sabbath, in order to allow us into the place of prayer, in order to allow us into the place of wrestling with the Lord, in order to allow us into the place of contemplation and meditation upon the truths of Scripture. We do no work so that we can do 
a work in the place of the law. It will have our love to the Lord, but it will also be a blessing to us when we come and we pray and we remember those who are in our families. Give them instruction. Give them up leading. Have a, have a concern for their souls, for the future generations. All of that. And when the world looks out, even when, when those at the periphery of God's house look out, they will then see a marvel in the life of a believer. So you have this sight of the believer. But then, secondly, you have the, the history of the believer. You, you, you have what we might say are our, our biography, our, our experience. Now, you, you'll notice this here. Where does, where does this, this believer come from? Well, we're told that she coming up from the wilderness. Coming up from the wilderness. Now, you'll notice here that the scriptures don't say that she comes up from the desert. The desert is a place where there is no vegetation. The desert is a place uh, where there is only sand. No, here she comes from the wilderness. And this is where, this is where grace seeks you out. This is where grace has sought out every believer that is here today. This is where grace seeks out everyone who is yet to believe in this congregation. It seeks us out in the wilderness of this life. It seeks us out in the world. It seeks us out in the, the temporalities and, and the wilderness of this place. You see, that, that is the problem, isn't it, with so many today when they are presented with the gospel. They don't see this world as a, as a wilderness. They don't see it as a, a, a place of emptiness. They see it as a delight. They're happy here. Well, what is this wilderness that is brought before us? Well, what is it that marks out a wilderness? Well, first of all, what marks out a wilderness is this. It's barrenness. It's barrenness. You see, when a place is barren, it means there's very little good in it. And friends, when a place is uh, a wilderness, it, it means here, as she comes up out of the wilderness, it means that it was, it was barren, it was little good in it. You can imagine now as you cast your eyes over the horizon, there are very few trees. You see, that is the first thing that the child of God was brought to see were brought to see that in this place there was no shelter. There was no shelter to, to cover them from the heat that would come from the law of God, that impenetrable heat. There was no shelter to, to cover them in their sins. And uh, so as they, they looked out onto this place of barrenness and perhaps they enjoyed it for a moment, they realized that there was no shade. 
And then the second thing is this, that there is, surely in a wilderness there's, there's no grass, or the grass is wilting. If you come out of Jerusalem and you're driving down the, uh, the motorway down towards uh, the, the, the north uh, as you're going over to past Jericho, you come out and Bethany is right outside of Jerusalem, almost immediately you, you notice a barrenness. Nothing seems to, to grow but, uh, but at a caked ground. And then we are told that when a shower comes, it might be a light shower. And they don't come very often, maybe every three or four months. But when a shower comes, almost immediately within hours, here and there, little flowers grow up and there's vegetation. There is proof that it's not a desert, but it's a wilderness. See, friends, the child of God is brought to see that the, this world is indeed a place that has no beauty. It has no beauty. And then, of course, in the wilderness, there's no water. Our friends, today, will you tell me here, please tell me here, that this world is a world that has no refreshment for you. If this world has a refreshment for you, if this world is satisfying you, if this world is anything but emptiness to you, you are still down in this wilderness. And whether it be a case that you are professing or unprofessing, And I say this very directly, that if you are professing and you still have a place here where you find refreshment, then you are on the borders of this wilderness. And at least you are not progressing up. Be very careful that we are not close to the world. And the world has not got a hold and a place within us. It's very possible that that can happen. Very possible indeed. But when this love of God comes into the soul, then that, that soul is, is revived. And the things here below are no longer the things that matter. The things of time and sense give way to the things of glory and eternity. So this wilderness is a place of barrenness, but it's a place of danger. This is what we were brought to see. This is what we pray that others, even within this congregation, and every congregation will be brought to see that this place is a place of danger. See, the wilderness was a place that people died in. The wilderness was a place where there were the wild animals that would seek to devour. And that is what this world is. It's a, it's a place that seeks to devour. Remember how the devil is, is brought to us. He, he's, he's brought very often as, as that roaring lion, seeking to devour. 
And that's what he does. He, he seeks to devour. But that's not always the way. Very often, we, we will see that, that danger, and it is an evident danger, and we'll run from that danger. And so the devil comes as an angel of light, seeking to deceive. And while we are here on our pilgrimage below, this will always be a place of danger to the Christian. It will be a place of danger to us because here we are to have no continuing city. We are subjects of a higher kingdom. We are subjects of the kingdom of heaven and of our God. So this place is to be a place of danger to us, and we are to see that place of danger. Well, they were brought to see this place of danger. No wonder that there was this, this marvel, who is this to come up out of the wilderness? Because those who had been asking the question didn't see that the wilderness was yet a place of danger. There's the narrow road, and there's the broad road. But as yet, they couldn't see the narrow road. Well, Christian, it is so for us here, isn't it? That as we said, that this place should not have a refreshment for us. There should be no water here that would satisfy our thirst. We should be like the dove as we head to the ark that we don't find a resting place for our feet. It was so of our forefathers in the Old Testament, they, they dwelt in tents because here they had no continuing city. Well, friends, let us not be those who put down our, our tent pegs so deep that we cannot get them back up out of this world. You see, here she's brought up out of the wilderness. Oh, this is an amazement. It's an amazement to, to those who have still have got their view in the wilderness. Well, this, this place is also a place of waylessness. This place is a place where many lose their way, where many become confused where many wish to, to, to settle uh, on, on the borders and they, they go perhaps for, for that, which enables them to have their conscience eased, but also enables them to, to have one foot in the world. And so often today, friends, we, we see that. We see that, and perhaps we could see that in our own lives. But we can see it in these days when there is this love and this desire even for the light things in religious things. Even for the, uh, the placing down of the, uh, the low regard for, for truth and for the gospel. Friends, love the truth. Love the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. Because this world is a place of wellnessness and it will lead astray. 
But thirdly, we see here the, the change of the Christian. You notice here the Christian is coming up. I'm preaching this this morning to your friends because I'm conscious that I might be preaching to someone here. And you're struggling in the Christian life. And the Christian life, perhaps, you have been discouraged. Well, remember what we said, that it was, a, it was a coming up. And it's a coming up out of the wilderness. And we must remember this, that there is the coming up out of the wilderness as regards being taken out of our sin. That is one sense. But there is to be also a regard given to the fact that we are being taken up out of the wilderness here as Christians. Because this is a wilderness to us. And we're heading towards the promised land. But on the way to that promised land, we are, as John Calvin said, so often we, we go two steps forward and, and one step back. And that is how we are, because when we look at the one step back, we become so discouraged. We become so discouraged. Let me say this to us this morning. If you come to examine yourselves and you, you ask yourself, as, as we all should, ask ourselves that all-important question, how is it with my soul? How is it with my soul? First of all, if you're outside of Christ, how is it with my, my soul as regards the things of God? That is the first thing. But what happens if we are found in Jesus Christ? Well, we are to ask the same question. How is it with my soul? How is the health of my soul? How is the strength of my soul? How is the encouragement of my soul? How is it with my soul? But when we come to examine ourselves, let me give you this illustration. All of you will, will know something of that, that tree, that, that vociferous tree, that very fast-growing tree, Lelandi. It grows something like three feet every year. And you can go out and you can, you can view that tree. And in a year's time, you can come back and you can see massive, massive growth. You know that the tree is growing. Well, it seems, and I cannot remember the name of it, but there's a little tree that grows in foreign climes. And it grows like something like a centimeter or even less over a period of 45 to 50 years. Now, friends, if you come to look at the Lelandi, you will see growth. If you come to look at this other little tree, you perhaps go every day to view it and you'll not notice any change. 
Well, they're both growing. They both have life. They both have strength. They're both taking up the nutrients. And friends, this morning, the question is this. You might not be what you ought to be. And I pray that you will never say within your heart, I am what I ought to be. But that rather you would say, I am not what I used to be. I am not what I used to be. You see here, there is this change. She's, she's coming up. There is, there is progress. There is the heading uh, towards that great land. And that is a wonderful thing because, shortly, and I'll just leave you with this heading. She has a strength. You notice this? She's leaning upon the arm of her beloved. That's literally what leaning upon her beloved is. She's leaning upon the arm of her beloved. When someone is weak, when someone is frail, and someone is struggling, what do you see them do? Well, you see someone coming alongside and giving them an arm, and they get strength from that arm. Well, friends, that's where we get our strength. Christ comes alongside, and he leads us up out of this wilderness. That is where our strength comes from. That is where our help comes from. And it might be that it's two steps forward and one step back. But if he wasn't the one who was giving his arm, we would be back altogether. We would be back altogether. Who is this that coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved, a child of God, Saved by the grace of God. Determined by the will of God. Drawn by the Spirit of God. A child of grace. Separated unto God. Because they are married. To the one. Who is. Their beloved. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. Ever gracious and. Blessed Lord, as we draw before thee this morning, we are mindful of our weakness and of our frailty. Oh, but we thank thee for that strength that is in thyself. We thank thee, Lord, that thou dost keep us weak. We thank thee that it is an emptiness that we need. It is no strength that we need. And so we look unto thee as the only author and the finisher of our faith. Ever blessed Lord, we ask thee now that thou would go before us and continue with us even in our partings praise. And all we ask is in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.